0: they can't go on. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 28th of July, 2010. Now, for newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com websites, Bookmark all those sites you see listed on the front page there. These are the official sites because sometimes there's problems with a com and lots of people go into the com at the same time, generally the, the day after the previous night show. So if you have these other sites listed, you can always get the latest download uh, with good quality. Try the alternate sites if you're finding sticking as well on download. And while you're at it, go into... The items I have for sale, the books and the discs and so on, that's how I get by. The ads you hear on the show are paid by advertisers directly to the station for the airtime and for the staff and equipment and their bills. So you've got to help me with mine and buy these things. Plus, you can also donate as well. You'll see the donate buttons on the different sites. Remember, too, all the sites you'll see listed on that front page have the same audios for download. Uh, They all have transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given in English for print-up. And if you want uh, uh, print-ups in other languages, go into AlanWattSentinel.eu and you'll find them there as well. Uh, A whole bunch of languages to choose from. Uh, They're a bit behind, but it's a hard job translating as well. So they're always behind the rest of them. And uh, as I say, the the advertisers go directly to RBN with their cash. I don't take part of it. I could take part of it, but then I'd bring guests on and sell their, their products and so on. And that detracts from the information. One hour isn't a long time to put information out there, especially at the rate it's coming in today. And especially at the, the, the time we're living through now with the biggest changes released since the Industrial Revolution, according to the CFR themselves. So I try to get as much out as I can within one hour. So please help me out. That keeps me going. And if you like what I'm saying, which I know lots of folk do because lots of other people use this stuff. It's up next day all over the place. And uh, so it's certainly welcome by different people with their own sites, etc. From the US to Canada, you can buy the books and so on by using a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from the post office. Uh, You can use cash or PayPal to donate or to purchase. Remember, if you want to purchase, send the appropriate donation with PayPal and a separate email with your name and your address and the order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. There's Western Union, they're kind of expensive, mind you. Uh, There's MoneyGram, there's Cash, or there's PayPal for purchasing or donating. Same idea again. As I say, we're going through the biggest changes, really. We have been going through them for a while. Most folk adapt so quickly into the new parts of the system by degrees that they they take everything for granted. Life hasn't been disrupted too much, so they they carry on as what they think is normal, especially when everyone else does too. And when everyone goes through uh, suddenly buying stuff from China in the late 80s and through the 90s without really noticing it or mentioning it, Then it becomes the norm. They don't ask, how come nothing's made at home anymore? Well, that was taken care of by big international agreements with your governments, of course, who are not your governments at all. They work for the same corporation, for World Inc., you might say, and they planned this for an awful long time. It's a bringing down of the first world countries to merge with the third world countries, and I guess we go into second place somewhere, uh, or maybe even lower, depending on how much they want to go push it, how far they want to push it, and how quickly too. We see this taking place in different countries across Europe very quickly. Britain's now really a third world country. It's been classed as that with their debts. And even the U.S. is getting put in the same category. Long ways to go, long long ways to fall, I should say. Back with more after this. Folks. This is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, today I was thinking about the questions that get asked often through emails. And the questions themselves, on the face of it of course, it's always very simple. And you understand where the person is immediately by what they ask you. Some people think they're waking up or they've just woken up because they've been hit personally. Uh, by new laws coming in or losing their jobs or something like that. But that really isn't waking up, that's reacting to the changes. And sometimes, too, you're going to ask a question uh, that, again, is very simple in in, in its simplicity, the way they ask it to you, and you realize you cannot give them an honest answer. An honest answer would mean that you'd have to educate them up to a certain degree in their particular one area of their question they're asking, so that you could answer them, and so, so they'd be ready for the answer you give them. That's how incredibly complex this thing is. We have been really the targets of warfare our whole lives. Uh, your parents were too, I keep saying this, your grandparents as well, you'll find literally a world agenda being planned back in the 1700s with the various revolutions that were underway. And France, who were more open about what they wanted. Although in the U.S., you have Franklin as well, who said that he hoped this this um, federation of the United States would be really uh, it would expand into the whole world, and it'd have a federation of the world. And you do have a world federalist society that works alongside all the other global citizenship organizations and so on to bring this all about. People don't realize what's been happening. The media never makes a big deal out of anything. And they keep us literally in a, in a la-la land. They give us the politics nonsense of left-wing and right-wing. And uh, whoever gets put in power, they slang them. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's left or right. It makes no difference at all. You're supposed to think that there's this one man that's making things go bad for you. And they've done it with with one President and Prime Minister after another. It makes no darn difference who they are. They're just frontmen. And even those frontmen will only know and be told what their parts in this whole world agenda is and no more. It's always a need to know basis. I can remember when the NAFTA, when the free trade negotiations were going on and Brian Mulroney Uh, came in and he, he came in on the ticket that he was not going to go along with this unification of the Americas and become another economic union, just like uh, Britain's in now and France and all the other countries. And he said it would be bad for Canada. But once he was in, once they elected him in, he changed his mind within two weeks and became the champion. That was, that was the headlines in the paper. He was the champion now for NAFTA. It would be a great idea. And then after him, it was John Cretien for the Liberals. And uh, he again ran on a ticket that he wouldn't sign. That was bad for Kerry. And then again within two weeks, he was the champion of NAV. It's the same nonsense you see going on. There's only one agenda. And Professor Carl Quigley did say that. Eventually the the two parties would be streamlined until they literally met in the same stream, basically. And you would have rhetoric, nothing but rhetoric, meaningless rhetoric, Uh, as they competed with each other to get in. It didn't matter because the heads are always put there by the Council on Foreign Relations for Canada and the States. And in Britain, it's a Royal Institute for International Affairs. And now they have the whole of the European Union under the European uh, Union International Affairs Organization, run by the same bunch at Chatham House a world agenda that's been underway for an awful long time, but not just a unification of the world. It's a planned society they wanted to bring in. They said that democracy, just like the little arm, one of their many arms they have is a club of Rome. Democracy was too cumbersome. They couldn't get anything done with com- com- competing parties and com- competing organizations all fighting and vying for power. They couldn't get their agenda through. So they'd have to uh, put their own people in and basically steamroll the agenda, agenda ahead. Plus, uh, the ex-prime ministers, you notice, and ex-presidents don't retire. They keep going around the world. They're given new jobs, talking at big world meetings and so on. Sometimes you'll see it in the papers. And they're pushing the same unification of the planet. So that's the, they belong now to the parallel government that Margaret Thatcher talks about, the already know the ropes, they know all the ex-prime ministers and presidents and all the politicians and bureaucrats across the world, so they're not tossed off to the side to enjoy their free directorships that they get 20 at a time, generally. They ground the world still working this agenda ahead. And they have many many guises of this agenda, of fairness doctrines and all this kind of stuff, inequality. and equality. You, and you must understand really why they push which sound uh, really to be pretty good ideas, they push them, but it's not a quality as you think of it, really. It's a planned society that they envisaged, and envisaged an awful long time ago at the League of Nations, before they became the United Nations, where experts would run the world, and experts would, would rule these communities. Uh, they would be kept as small communities, and they would control the population in those communities. And they give you the appearance of participating in the system, being, belonging to your community, attending community events, getting to vote on certain things. In other words, get you involved in thinking you're really taking part in something without realizing, of course, that the leaders that they put in uh, will guide you into the direction they wanted you to go in the first place. But the feeling of participating is really enough to fool most people. What do you think voting's been about all this time? So they envisage this world of communitarian societies, which really is a nice way of seeing uh, the updated, the better, more improved Soviet style, because that's how the Soviet style was supposed to be, ruled by councils. That's what it means. And under the guise of sustainability, Uh, They're pushing and ramming this all the way through right to the the very bottom of society. They've been putting in the trained leaders in your society, some semi-retired politicians, semi-retired bureaucrats, spreading them out into the areas across your countries for many, many years in preparation for what's happening now. Some of them are already advisors on your local councils, town councils and so on. And they have been for years too. Well, you didn't elect these people, and you see that's what you're getting used to, non-elected people uh, running your lives for you uh, under the guise of sustainability. Most folk don't understand it, uh, unless it's hit them personally. Some places in the U.S. have already had uh, dealings with them. Some areas have actually gone green and are sustainable, as they call it. And their whole town councils have members on board with this. And it's the same in Britain. As I say, Britain is the flagship, so you always watch Britain to see what's really happening. Now, this prune, I call them prunes, you see, I don't borrow calling them politicians, because they're yes-men and they're, they're eager little psychopaths who will do anything they're told for their masters. Uh, he's now the, the Prime Minister of Britain. And... Is, this is an article from the Telegraph and, and this, this is the standard way that journalists will present this it's all his fault and all this kind of stuff but no, it wouldn't matter who was in it wouldn't matter at all if it was a Martian they put in there uh, the same thing's going ahead but it says here, April the 1st, 2010 it says, uh, Cameron's Big Society is a grotesque fantasy inspired by left left, uh, leftist subversive Saul Alinsky these guys are very interesting again Saul and Alinsky Very good friend of Obama. And it says here, This plan is directly based on the successful community organizing movement established by Saul Alinsky in the United States and has successfully trained generations of community organizers, including President Obama. That statement, which beggars the belief, even in the political fairground we now inhabit, is not taken from some far-out Trotskyite samizdat but from the official Conservative Party introduction to David Cameron's Big Idea. It wasn't his, of course. Which is the creation of a neighbourhood army of 5,000 full-time community organisers to implement his grotesque fantasy called Big Society. If you ever doubted that under Cameron, the Conservative Party has become ideologically and culturally deracinated, has lost its political compass and is occupied by an alien clique that has disfigured it beyond recognition, here is the incontestable evidence. Saul Alinsky is here openly acknowledged as the inspiration behind Cameron's big idea. Well, he may have been the one that, that they put out to approach Cameron on it and, and coach him. Alinsky was a lifelong cultural revolutionary and political subversive whom Barack Obama formally claimed as his spiritual mentor. Since Obama hit mainstream politics, however, his supporters have exp- st- expanded um, expanded a vast amount of effort trying to conceal that embarrassing story. There's more than that embarrassing story, too. two, I'll tell you another one later. Aggressively, Emil Olinsky believed there was no right or wrong in politics; only what was necessary to seize power. Well, that's standard Marxist doctrine. Uh, whatever you tell the public, whatever you want to seize power, that's standard. Associate the Conservative Party blurts out this admission in the launch document of big society. This is a pedantic, uh, pedantic debate over whether Olinsky was technically a Marxist or bypass Marx's old hat. What is beyond question is this project to overthrow capitalist society and to do so through infiltration of political parties, institutions and above all by the use of community organisers. It's actually neo-Marxism, they're calling it now, and and, and it's also neo-Trotskyism. Trotsky's ideas were based on the community Soviet-type system, which is this exactly. Anybody who thought claims uh, on this blog of cultural Marxism influencing even the Tory party were exaggerated can now think again. Alinsky was the first begetter of ACORN. Remember ACORN, the sinister organization that tried to gerrymander the, the American electorate? This is what's going on here? Who's running the Cameroonian party? Common purpose? How is it that it conceivable that even the most bland, politically correct, centre-right conservative party could derive its flagship policy from the thinking of Alinsky, whose seminal work, Rules for Radicals, what he published, was dedicated to Lucifer? If, as one suspects, this is the brainchild of Oliver Letwin, he needs to be escorted expeditiously to the seclusion of a padded boudoir. As a Tory totally, uh, totally demented, sending 5,000 community organizers to harass people into approved activities. And that's the key to it, approved activities. is reminiscent of the Red Guards invading the countryside during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Well, you've got it, folks, because you see the Royal Institute for International Affairs, who set up Common Purpose and, and all these uh, community leaders and so on, based on that model. They actually funded also the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Yet one one group created communist China, and it wasn't the Chinese who financed it and, and guided them. Claims that they will not be state employees are contradicted by the references to grants that will be made available to them. The inescapable fact is that any enterprise artificially generated by government is a state-inspired initiative. Real communities have the WRI, the British Legion, bowling, tennis, cricket clubs, naturally evolved organisations. Those who prat most about communitarianism are precisely those who have destroyed real communities by enforcing mass immigration, impoverishing the countryside, imposing draconian health and safety regulations, etc. What hope for thriving communities when uh, nativity plays are routinely banned on uh, PC grounds? You can't put even anything to do with Christianity in the windows in the cities now. It's illegal. Do something about all that, Dave. That is all that people ask. Uh, What a dog's breakfast the whole Heath Robertson contraption is. A big society bank funded by dormant bank accounts. They're having a laugh, surely. And why should communities want to buy clapped-out shops and other enterprises that have failed the test of market forces? Transforming the civil service into a civic service. And that's no joking, they're doing all this. But making community busy-bodying an element in civil service staff appraisals. What kind of nonsense is this? Forcing the most public sector-minded jobs worth in the country to the forefront of local community life is actually the most culturally decentralizing collectivist initiative imaginable. On page 6 of this electoral suicide note, we also read that neighborhood group leaders will have a code of conduct, and this code of conduct will protect neighborhood groups against extremist causes. Do you understand that you're, that's total Soviet? Any, uh, anything that's against what they're doing is called an extremist cause. And the participants are extremists. You see where it's all gone. It goes on to say, what is that all about? Political direction and social control, it would seem... The point where one sees why Dave had to rush this initiative out a few hours ahead of April the 1st is when we come to the proposed annual National Big Society Day. So, this commutarianism and as I say, they've already implemented it and noticed in the U.S. in a couple of places. It was quite interesting. I might talk about that later. But there's other articles here that tie right in with this big society, is a calling and This came from the UN's Agenda 21, the Agenda for the 21st Century, and from its Millennium Reports, because that was the preceder of the, the 21st Century um, agenda. And um, you have to really go into it to see where it's all supposed to go. Even in Australia... They're really ticked off about it. Back in 2008, it was announced there that uh, the Agenda 20, uh, the, the agenda for the 21st century invades Australia. Uh, 7th of January, it was 2008. And I'll put these links, remember, up on my site at the end of the show, cuttingthremedic.com. Australian leaders enforce Agenda 21, sustainable development by restricting private property use through policies like the Native Vegetation Act, public-private partnerships with willing corporations, Councils, Your town councils, developers and others are used to advance the agenda. As a result, Australian businesses are becoming nationalized and private properties being abolished. Then they go on to give you uh, more stuff, but with people who are protesting it and so on. But it says, the vanguard implementation of Agenda 21 policies will pummel Australian landscape. Leaders eager to enforce Agenda 21 encourage public-private partnerships with willing corporations, developers and others. These alliances create nationalised businesses and erode private property ownership. Environmental group sanctions uh, and and aid Agenda 21 policies. They are funded by organisations such as the Rockefeller Foundation, Unsuspecting citizens are misled by buzzwords such as sustainable development, smart growth, that's all part of Agenda 21, taking care of the planet, climate change, global warming and other similar language. And so then they go on to give you reports from uh, concerned Australians. Um, Earth Dialogues was held in Brisbane, Australia in July 2006. This was the first time the conference was held outside of Europe. Michael Gorbachev is a keynote speaker. The theme was a World Forum for Resource Management and Sustainable Development. The event was chaired by Michael Gorbachev of Green Cross International and the Honourable Peter Beattie, Premier of Queensland. Speakers encouraged the audience, including many children, to care for the environment. In one session, children were taught to sing a song of praise for Gorbachev and Green Cross International. Is that reminiscent of China or what? Because that's the sort of stuff they did there for little Matsutong and they'd sing out with their little red book, you know. The speakers mo- mo- promoted a new vision and a new future. These included eco-friendly gardens, high-rise development, eco-friendly modes of transportation such as eliminate cars, replace cars with bicycles, use buses, etc. Create healthy cities. College and school teachers and attendants were very enthusiastic that they failed to understand that the, e- the candy-coated Offerings directly resulted from the 1992 Earth Summit, which was first advocated, uh, they were the first one to advocate Agenda 21 sustainable development. The children were encouraged to denounce national sovereignty, by the way, and embrace a global government. Their principal objectives were to accept the, the United Nations Earth Charter, establish an Asian Pacific Region Office of Green Cross International, and implement international law. That's all again from the United Nations. There was no debate, nor was contrary voice heard. People were shown pictures of the terrible disasters that destroyed the environment. The Earth Charter was presented as the only solution to the global environmental crisis. The media downplayed the event by portraying it as an event for children, because, you see, the media is all part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Australian Institute for International Affairs. Every British Commonwealth country has a department of it working and telling government what to do. Earth Dialogue's goal is to create crisis, then resolve them by taking control of water, land and business through international laws and United Nations intervention. It's been on the goal for a long time, folk. They've set up the machinery and the organizations that have trained them through common purpose in Britain and elsewhere. And by the way, uh, uh Cameron, the Prime Minister of Britain, is an often a foreign tour and he just visited the common purpose uh, HQ in Bangalore. They have them all over the world now. And I'll put that link up for you too. And their idea for common purpose is to train young leaders to grow up to be their future community leaders. They're going to be completely Soviet, completely Sovietized. And you have to go through, as I say, the, the, the organizations that are into it. Another one is the OECD Observer, and it goes on here to tell you about their, their various goals that they have set up. Crafting an agenda for the 21st century, Paul Honan, special advisor and former political director of Greenpeace International. Well, what else? Over the last decade in particular, there's been much talk about the role of non-governmental organizations, unelected in other words, and their influence on politics and policy making, but also on business strategies. Are these NGOs friend or foe? The answer to that is largely up to governments. Who is in charge, governments or corporations, and where are they taking us? One of the clear messages to emerge from the anti-globalization protests over recent years has been a concern that elected governments have effectively abdicated to the private sector the responsibility for the welfare of both people and planet. With the gap growing between rhetoric of globalization, that the market would provide more wealth for more people, and the reality that there is more wealth for some people, You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. We always get cut off at 8.30, I don't know why, but I'm back on again, and I'm going through the basic agenda 21 and called many names, sustainable development, sustainable communities and so on. And you understand, as I say, this ties in what I said at the beginning of the show. People ask you what seem to be simple, naive questions, but you have to really, you'd have to bring them up in so much knowledge just to answer the question, to give them the answer to the question at the end of building them up to it. Otherwise, they can make no sense of it. See, they should have been aware all their life, and they haven't been. And that's what you really realize. They, they have sailed through life playing, watching media, and doing all the things you are supposed to do, except paying attention to what's really going on. But that's the last thing they want anyone to do. Now, here's another one on Agenda 21, and this is from 1998 by Barrett Kios. It's a good site. And I'll put this link up too, all these links on my website, com at the end of the show. And it's, it says here, the United Nations Plan for Your Sustainable Community. It says that this global action plan matches the PCSD report, Sustainable America, and it says see also the UN Plan for Global Control, the Habitat 2 agenda. There's so many, it's so massive. Any area that you look into is so massive uh, with bureaucracies and you, one, just as alone, you could spend your lifetime going through. Just as one alone. They're all linked together like spiders, leg, legs back to the main body, of course, that controls the world. And we're already uh, global. I've got another one from the, the UN saying that we are global society now. And they're gearing up now to plan all the different things for the future now that they are under authoritarian global society. And that's a key authoritarian. It's not democratic. And this, this is from nine to eight. Democrats bury community transformation plans in the healthcare bill. In the bill, the Affordable Health Choices Act, community transformation plans would be carried out using federal money and overseen by centers for disease control and prevention. The CDC would distribute the money as well as coordinate the various state, local and community entities responsible for carrying out the plans. Both state and local governments are eligible for the grants, as are national networks of community-based organizations. Doesn't this fit right in with what they're doing in Britain, as they've slashed all the healthcare, all the usual uh, operations are, are gone now, you can't get cataracts fixed in like that, you're just third world country status under the, IM, the IMF. At the same time, they're pushing communitarianism, giving you the pretense Uh, that you'll be involved with decision-making in your own community, while in reality, common purpose is train the leaders and put them all in place. Same thing. This is for the U.S. though. The transformation plans must include activities for all ages. Listen to this. Beginning in public schools, which focus on eating healthy food, adequate amounts of physical activity, Every time our friends on the other side start talking about community organizations, we usually think ACORN, the same guy I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Obama's spiritual mentor. And what does it say within this Agenda 21? Current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, use of fossil fuels, appliances at home, and workplace air conditioning and suburban houses are not sustainable. A shift is necessary which will require a vast strengthening of the multilateral system, including the United Nations. That was Maurice Strong's opening speech at the 1992 UN Conference on Environment and Development. It says, note, this global contract binds all nations and spreading regions to the collective vision of sustainable development. They must commit to pursue the three E's of sustainability, environment, economy, and equity, referring to the UN blueprint for environmental regulations, economic regulations, and social equity. That's why your money's been given to people all over the planet now, as Marx would have it, you know, the redist- redistribution of wealth. You're living all through it. You have been living all through it. At January 21, the UN Blueprint for Global Transformation sounds good to many well-meaning people. Drafted for the purpose of creating sustainable societies, it has been welcomed by nations around the world. Political, cultural and media leaders have embraced its alluring visions of social justice and a healthy planet. They hide the lies behind its doomsday scenarios and fraudulent science. Relatively few consider the contrary facts and colossal costs. After all, what could be wrong with preserving resources for the next generation? Why not limit consumption and reduce energy use? Why not abolish poverty and establish a global welfare system to train parents, monitor intolerance, and meet all our needs? Why not save the planet by trading cars for bikes, an open market for self-sustaining communities, and single dwelling, uh, dwellings for dense human settlements? Uh, it says where everyone would dialogue, share common ground, and be equal. The answer is, answer is simple. Marxist economics has never worked. Now remember, the CFR, according to Quigley, who was its historian, uh, said that they were often accused of being communist, but, but because their, their policies seemed to be along the communist direction. Well, that's exactly right. They were. They are bringing in a communistic-type society for the peasants so that the very wealthy elite above them, the fascist bunch, can rule more easily with these layers of of NGO leaders and bureaucrats, etc., and civil servants all the way up to the federal level. That's exactly what they wanted. And who started off the communists anyway? Who funded Marx and so on? It was the bankers. The bankers preferred this kind of society which they'll end up owning, by the way, because, you see, the bankers are putting everything under biospheres where no one can go in to take anything out the ground whatsoever, except special international corporations, which the UN delegate to do so. But it also means that no one can live on that area. You'll be crammed in your little habitat, you see. And under this guise of, uh, of um, carbon sinks, the beautiful one, and they're buying up millions of miles of uh, forest in the Amazon and so on, millions of acres. They're going to killing off it, but they're also going to get all those natives off their land as well for you know, environmental purposes. You're destroying the environment. For goodness sake, just living here is destroying the environment. But the big gold companies that's uh, well in with the UN and gives money back to them, of course, will be allowed to go in, and the loggers as well. It's always a big lie, folks. You see, they'd never tell you the truth, and the last ones to ever tell you the truth are Marxists, or the Council on Foreign Relations, or the bankers, because they're all one. It says here, even so, local and national leaders around the world are following the UN blueprint for global management and sustainable communities, and President Clinton is leading the way. He was then, and now there's been other ones since him. Since him, a letter I received from the President Council on Sustainable Development states that in April 97, President Clinton asked the Council to advise him on next steps in building a new environmental management system for the 21st century and policies that foster U.S. leadership on sustainable development internationally, the Council was also charged to ensure that social equity issues are fully integrated. Now, I'll jump from there to this little interesting piece, because it ties in with it as well. And it's from the Jakarta Post. It says, Carnegie Foundation launches its Southeast Asia unit with BACRI funding. And this is the 28th of the 7th, 2010. The Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. It always goes under the international peace, you see, all these big foundations like Rockefeller and Carnegie and Ford and so on. A prestigious foreign policy think tank organization based in Washington recently launched its Southeastern Asian Studies Department with funding from the widely diversified Bakri Group, one of Indonesia's largest business conglomerates. So, I mean, you think it's just a charity thing funding it, right? But it ain't. Southeastern Asian nations are critical players in the international community and global economy, Carnegie Vice President Douglas Powell said at the official announcement of the establishment of Bakri Chair for Southeast Asian Studies. Now, I've mentioned before that the Royal Institute for International Affairs set up the Council on Foreign Relations in America, but they also set up organizations for the Asia-Pacific Rim region as well. And you see, uh, this is one of them. So, And they want to bring a block of these, just like the the, the European is a block, a new Soviet, want to do the same thing with the the Far East as well, the lumping Australia, New Zealand, and all these countries in with them. It says, so this is a hundred years ago they designed that whole part of it. It says, building itself as the first truly global think tank with offices in Moscow, Beijing, Beirut, Brussels and Washington, the organization welcomes the opportunity provided with Barki's generous pledge to look at Southeast Asia and particularly Indonesia more closely. The amount of funding provided to the organization was not disclosed. No, I bet it wasn't. The chair is sponsored by the non-profit Barkie Foundation Center. They were all headed by... Philanthropists, you see, with their armies of NGOs, headed by Anindya Bakri, one of the most prominent members of a family that founded and controls one of Indonesia's biggest business empires. And she certainly does. But here's the interesting part here that came down to and it says here, members of the Bakri clan at lunch included uh, Aburizal, the one-time CEO of the group and a minister in President yadhonos Yadoyono's first administration. He's now chairman of the Golkar Party, Indonesia's second largest party. This is also in attendance where Mayo, guess who this was, Maya uh, Soetoro NG, the half-sister of U.S. President Barack Obama. Isn't it a small world, folks, eh? Small world this is, you know. So here's an alliance going in for the for this EPAC re- region, and who's taking part in it? Obama's half sister. Okay. Representatives from the Indonesian embassy, other Asian. That's A C and that's A-S-E-A-N, member states, businesses and organizations with interest in Indonesia, as well as Jeffrey Bida of the National Security Council and Stapleton Roy, a former US ambassador to Indonesia. But it's really amazing. I, I used to be thinking it fascinating that Britain used to go to war in the mid, Middle Ages with uh, uh, the king's cousins, who was generally the cousin, his cousin would be the king of France and stuff like that. In World War One, you had the, the King. going uh, got war with his uh, his cousin in Germany, the Kaiser, which of course is Caesar, by the way, and it's the same as Caesar. It's all the same word. It's the same root word. And uh, and in fact, they're so closely related that they they look pretty well identical. And then in World War Two, they set up um, for Germany to build up its war industry. They set up. Um, the 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 big umbrella group IG Farben And the funding initially came through the Sachs family And you, you go into Eleanor Roosevelt's uh, diary of the family tree Because she and and her husband were, th- were both cousins, of course Same family tree And who were they related to? Well, the Sachs family of Holland and Germany <laughs> Small world that, isn't it? Small world so here's uh, the Far East and there's this, this guy that no one had heard of, uh, Mr. Obama. Uh, We've never heard of him before, but uh, uh, obviously they had things planned for him, and his half-sister and so on a long time ago because she's now heading off the, helping to head off the Eastern Pacific Rim region and get them under a, under a conglomerate on board with the whole agenda for sustainability and all the rest of it and to make sure that, that the big businesses that prove ones at the top prosper. Quite something, eh? It's just as ludicrous, of course, as I see these coincidences as, as so many other coincidences, like like President Bush's father, who was an ex-president himself, down the road of New York when 9-11 happened, meeting with his business conglomerate, and it was the Bin Laden family who were part of his business enterprise. It's just a, it's a small world. It's a small world, folks, you know. All these billions of people, but what a small world, isn't it? Okay. Hey? So, sustainable development, as I say, is a big, big thing. But when you go into the United Nations, there's a link, uh, I might put up. It's called the Future Intellectual Agenda of the United Nations, according to the WAAS survey. And they go on about the process for setting the agenda, how the NGOs must take a bigger and bigger part in the communities, and how they've got to shape policy directions for all the countries. It's quite fascinating to to read through it and realize all that goes into this when you think that you've still got national governments. All the proper people in your government have been put there by higher forces than you, the electorate. They're all strategically placed in all the right places for the right time. Look at all the bunch on board with Obama that's appointed there. It's amazing, too, that every country now for the last, what, eight, ten years has had environmental ministers or politicians on boards. You know, environmental politicians. Really, it's all Agenda 21. And down in your community, remember, too, you'll be dealing with health care because, you see, the healthcare systems have to collapse. They're supposed to go back to basic primitivism. I noticed in the U.S., under Obama's uh, healthcare system, it's not, I hate using his name because he doesn't, he doesn't do this stuff, it's all done by other people for him. Um, they're talking about bringing holistic uh, healers in as well. What they're really telling you folks is you won't be getting treatments anymore and the real medicines and all the rest of it, you'll be getting a lot of other stuff in, in, in lieu of it. And they'll all get, will they're all going to take part in insurance um, payoffs as well, they get paid for doing this. They tried that in Canada a few years back, and I couldn't believe my eyes when it came on CBC, that this experiment with nurses who've been given a week's training and these healing hand projects where they, they stand over the patient and, and just waft their hands back and forth really, really fast, never touching the patient. I, I don't know if they're trying to pull out the cancer psychically, you know, or, or take out the soul of the cancer, what they were trying to do, or maybe just keep flies away. I've no, I've no, I've no idea at all of course, after doing that for about a year or two, it was announced in the paper that there been be no difference whatsoever, except they kept the patients cool. So this is a nonsense you're going to go back to, is they bring the world down and depopulate the world. But the trick is to make you think you're a stakeholder in it all. And I've explained before, a stakeholder, that's the terms they always use, uh, you're not a shareholder. A stakeholder literally is literally like beating a native on his land who's never registered the land of the United Nations. He ends up with nothing. That's what it is. So as I say, when people ask you simple questions, and it's very simple to them, I should say, you can't even give them an honest answer. Even in the one little minute area they're asking about, Unless you gave them an education in that area to bring them up to speed in what's been happening for the last hundred years. To give, and then give them, is to prepare them for the answer you're going to give them. And that's what people find out there. Otherwise it goes right over their head, they haven't a clue. And they were expecting a simple response from you. But what we do have to know is this. We're going into a hellish system, an overbearing system, where we have no say whatsoever, and I don't want it, neither should you, should do something about it now, back with more after this break. I'm back, and we're cutting through the matrix, and I'll finish it back on the WAAS article from the United Nations for its future intellectual uh, agenda, as they call it. This is clearly the global ecosystem and who will survive the certain disaster. The the certain is a, the the positive a big disaster is coming and it's high on the agenda. One member asks himself whether this should not constitute the only intellectual agenda for the UN affirmative action in order to resolve this mind-boggling matter within the next five years. It says the UN must initiate a global initiative to include an international component in the curricula of schools that will be done through UNESCO. Already has been done through the UNESCO. A globalized world requires that the countries slowly adjust their national education systems to the global challenge that they become international of improving mutual cultural and religious understanding as well as more familiarity with emerging, emergent new technologies. All too often, national education systems promote a highly nationalistic view of history, either portraying the country as a mere victim or a benevolent perpetrator. There's also a problem in the reteaching of religion and of ideas that focus on the views of the dominant cultural groups in the country and neglects the views of other cultures like like Britain where you can't be a Christian anymore. Students often leave school ill-equipped to judge recent political, economic and technological developments. The UN should therefore start a global initiative to include an international component into national teaching. You have international teachers and increase the share of new knowledge, training teachers and providing the necessary materials. The UN must ensure that the non-governmental organizations also become more accountable, stick to facts and are less opportunistic. And it goes into a whole bunch of stuff on them to become more involved and more accurate and how to even interrelate with the press, etc. So they have to become more and more specialized and better trained. New integrating sciences that focus on exploring and understanding long-term cultural change. That's as we all get used to cultural change in mass immigration as you're being denationalized, completely gutted, in other words. And uh, nothing's left out of it, you know, even transportation and so on. Such understanding is the intellectual foundation required to identify the emerging realities of the 21st century. Another language is that the strategic issues in which the human future now hangs are no longer primarily engineering and finance issues or even environmental issues, although these remain vitally important to brainwash the rest. I added that last part. It says, uh, often one sees arguments for, for specific culture-bound or even religiously defined criteria for science, particularly for the social sciences. This is detrimental to the scientific endeavor. The only way for science to progress and for individual scientists to develop is the acknowledgement of and participation in the universal scientific discourse, that's global, the recognition of the value of both pure and applied science. And you know that they're talking, too, about social sciences and how to control the public. They actually go into psychology and all the rest of it and your, your specialists that will be appointed to your little community will be giving you little psych lessons and psych tests shortly to make sure you're not a radical. You see, if you're a thinker and you know things, you, got to, you have to learn to to pretend you're dumb and stupid. And instead of saying amen to everyone around you, you'll say green peace, green peace to everyone. You know, stuff like that. Just to live and survive. That's how it's going to be, folks, unless you change it now. It's up to you. You never voted for this. Your governments sold you out. Get them out. From myself and Hamish in Ontario, Canada, as good night to me, a god, or your gods go with you.